Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Judges chapter 11 for this morning's time together. I want to ask you a very simple question that I hope uh, will be a way of us examining where we're at and and recognizing uh, challenges that we face in life. But the truth of the matter is, before I even ask the question, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, all right? So here's the question. In your life, have you ever been hurt? In your life, have you ever been hurt? Well, I have to confess today that I don't know how long you've been alive or I don't know your whole story and background, but I imagine that in your life, you've had a moment or two of hurt. Amen? Amen. But I think the bigger question is that with that hurt, how are you responding? What are you doing with the hurt and pain of life? The fact of the matter is we all go through hurts and pains. We all face trials, difficulties, circumstances, adversities. Every single one of us face those things. And so today from God's word, We're going to look at an illustration from Scripture that is probably not one that's very well known. In fact, this gentleman would be one of the unsung heroes of the Bible. And yet from his story, God shows us how we are to respond when we face those seasons of hurt. And I believe what God is calling us to see from his word is that he wants us to trust him even with the pain in our life. Those things that are unbearable, those things that are horrible, those things that we never wanted to experience, those things that maybe we didn't see coming, every single one of those things, God wants us to bring it to him and to trust him. Every single one of us have pain in our life. Every single one of us have walked through that in some way, shape, or form. And in fact, just to make sure that I wasn't preaching to you, but walking through it myself, God allowed me to experience a very humiliating defeat as my football team lost yesterday, all right? I'm saying that lightheartedly, but thank you for your condolences and your thousands of texts to mock me last night. God bless you, okay? (laughs) Great will be your reward or judgment one day. No, I'm kidding, but no, the fact of the matter is, is like we all face adversity in life. We all face hardship. And I believe what God is wanting us to see is how we are to respond in those moments and in those seasons. We've been going through Hebrews chapter 11 over the past several weeks, and we're setting this great hall of faith. These individuals in the midst of impossible situations, in the midst of great adversity, who were willing to trust God and walk by faith, and God did extraordinary things in them and through them. Hebrews chapter 11 says it this way, What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and even the prophets who by faith they conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained our promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong. They became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Today in our time together, we're gonna look at this unsung hero of the Bible, this often forgotten man in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Jephthah. We read his story in Judges chapter 11 and Judges chapter 12. And can I just say to you this morning, full disclosure, Jephthah had to be the most unlikely candidate to be included in the hall of faith. In fact, if you think about many of these people, men and women that God used greatly from Hebrews chapter 11, we see that his situation is very different than many of their situations. He did not grow up in a godly family. He didn't have like a mom and a dad who loved God and loved him and poured into him and left him a godly legacy. He didn't have that. Not only did he not have that, he didn't even have a supportive like network around him. We don't read of his siblings and other people in his life encouraging him and saying, man, you got this. You can do this. You're an overcomer. Be a survivor. Like we don't read anything about that. We don't read of anybody really investing in or pouring into the life of Jephthah. Instead, what we find in studying his background, frankly, is one painful situation after another. We we see dysfunction in every way possible. We see harm. We see disappointment. We see hurt and pain. We see all these different things. And yet, God was with Jephthah. 
And God used Jephthah in an absolutely extraordinary way. The story of Jephthah's life is a powerful encouragement that we can trust God even in the midst of the pains and heartaches of life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done or even what's been done to you. You matter to God. You can know God and you can still today be used by God to accomplish his purpose and plans. We see this loud and clear through the life of a forgotten man named Jephthah. I want to ask you if you have your Bibles today to open them and stand together with me at Judges chapter 11 as we read together, recognizing that it's God's word. Now, please hear me closely. The words will be on the screen. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and I think a lot's going to make sense. But once we get through verse 11 to verse 26, we're going to be reading about some of Israel's history. And it's going to get kind of uh, muddy for just a little bit. But hang with me. I believe there are some simple and yet powerful truths that God wants us to see about trusting God with our pain. Here's what the Bible says. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a valiant warrior, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows gathered themselves about Jephthah, and they went out with him. Well, it came about after a while that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. When the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our chief that we may fight against the sons of Ammon. Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why have you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, for this reason we have now returned to you that you may go with us and fight with the sons of Ammon and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back to fight against the sons of Ammon and the Lord gives them up to me, will I become your head? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord is witness between us. Surely we will do as you have said. Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and chief over them. Key statement, don't miss this. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Now bear with me. You ready for some history? If you're ready, would you say, I am? I don't believe you, but let's do it anyway. Verse 12. Now Jephthah sent messengers of the king to the sons of Ammon, saying, What is this between you and me, that you have come to me to fight against my land? King of the sons of Ammon said to the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land when they came up from Egypt, from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and the Jordan, therefore return them peaceably now. In other words, he's saying Israel stole our land 300 years ago and we want it back. But Jephthah sent messengers again to the king of the sons of Ammon and they said to him, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab nor the land of the sons of Ammon. For in the past, 300 years ago, when they came up from Egypt and Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. They also sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they went through the wilderness and around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came to the east side of the land of Moab and they camped beyond the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Israel sent messengers to Sion, the king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon. And Israel, led to, Israel said to him, please let us pass through your land to our place. But Sion did not trust Israel to pass through the territory. So Sion gathered all his people and camped in Jahaz and fought with Israel. Verse 21, listen to what he says. The Lord... The God of Israel gave Sion and all his people into the hand of Israel. They defeated them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. They possessed all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok, and from the wilderness as far as the Jordan. Since now, the Lord, the God of Israel, drove out the Amorites from before his people Israel. Are you then to possess it? Are you to take back what God has given? Verse 24, do you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God has given before us, or driven out before us, we'll possess it. 
Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive with Israel? Did he ever fight against them? Well, Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages and in Aurora and its villages and all the cities that are in the banks of the Arnon. 300 years. Why did you not recover them within that time? Listen to what he summarizes and we'll pause at the end of verse 28. I therefore have not sinned against you, but you're doing me wrong by making war against me. Listen to this statement. May the Lord, the what? Judge, judge today between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ammon. The king of the sons of Ammon disregarded the message which Jephthah sent him. Keep your Bibles open. We'll turn back to the passage in a moment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time together today. Lord, I always feel like the time is so brief, but in these brief moments, would you speak to our heart and mind in a powerful way, moving our hearts and lives to encourage us and to convict us, but ultimately to change us today. And God, I pray today if there's anyone that's struggling or anyone that's hurting, God, that through the truths that we see in this passage, that you would encourage us and you would draw us closer to yourself. May we leave here today trusting and praising you for the incredible, gracious, uh, all-powerful, merciful God that you are. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated this morning. Trusting God in the pain. Trusting God in the pain. You might be here this morning and have never read Judges chapter 11 because it is just an exciting passage of Scripture. You might have been here this morning, have never heard the name Jephthah, and you might be here this morning wondering, Pastor Matthew, what in the world does this message from the history of Israel and of this leader, what does it have to do with me today? How could God possibly speak to me through the life of a man who lived a thousand years before the very birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this morning, my hope and prayer is that God will, in these moments together, take the truths of his word and impart them to us personally to remind us of words of his promise and words of his incredible power to work all things together for our good and for his glory. This morning, I want you to make with me two key observations, two truths from the text that we see. But in the end, I want us to see the application that Jephthah gave, and I want to challenge us to do the same. So two particular truths that we see in this pastor scripture. Number one is this, and it's sad and it's sobering, but it's a simple reality. And that is this, we all face pain in life. We all face pain in this life. I don't like it. And I know that you don't like it. But the simple fact of the matter is we all face pain in this life. We all deal with certain levels of circumstances and trials and difficulties. We deal with this because we are sinful people living in the midst of a sinful, broken world. In the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, God created Adam and Eve, and the Bible tells us that they lived in perfect harmony with God. They lived in a perfect garden of Eden, that there was no wrong, no sin, no flaws. In fact, God gave them but one primary limitation, and that was that they were not to eat of a certain tree. And yet the Bible tells us that they did anyway. Eve was tempted and she took of the tree that she was not supposed to eat of. And then the Bible says that she gave it to Adam. And in literally the Hebrew word there literally just means that he was right there beside her, passively looking on, not standing up and, and, and warning or cautioning. He, he, he did. And so literally they took of it, they sinned against God. And as a result of that, sin entered the world. Not only sin into the world, but the consequences of sin into the world the brokenness that come into the world. And as a result of that, today, we all face certain levels of pain and circumstances, trial and difficulties. Now, we handle that differently. Some of us, when we go through pain, we shout it from the rooftops or on social media, if that's the easier vehicle. Others of us instead endure it in silence. We don't want to talk about it. We want to ignore it and avoid it and act as if nothing has ever happened. But we all face pain. We all face trials. And we sometimes don't know what to do with that. And I believe what God is showing us in his word is what to do with that. I'm reminded of the illustration of the fifth century of a guy by the name of King Agnes. King Agnes in the fifth century was scheduled to be baptized by the infamous St. Patrick. And so King, King Agnes went before the church that day as the saint was preparing to baptize. And he baptized differently than we do here at Crosslink. And, and, and St. Patrick had a staff that had a very sharp point at the bottom and at some point in the process of this baptism, St. Patrick began to lean on this staff, thinking nothing of it, thinking that the pointed end of the staff was in the floor. And of course, once the baptism was concluded, concluded, Saint, concluded to get my English correct, St. Patrick looked down and noticed that King Agnes, his foot had been punctured and it was bleeding profusely. 
And so literally, St. Patrick said, oh, my king, you're bleeding. What has happened? And he said, oh, that's easy, St. Patrick. When you leaned on your staff, you pierced it. When you lean on the staff, you put the, the, the spear, the sharp part, into my foot, and it caused me to bleed. And he said, well, why didn't you say anything? And, of course, the king, not knowing any better, looked back at St. Patrick, and he said, I thought this was part of the ritual. You know, like, this is all a part of it. Pain is it. Here's the fact. The fact is pain is a part of life. We all face pain in life. Job says it this way, Job 14, verse 1, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Now, that'll encourage you, won't it? That's what he says. Jesus said it this way in John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace, but in the world you have what? Tribulation. Tribulation. We're going to face trials and difficulties. This is a part of the broken world in which we live. Sometimes that happens very innocently as we literally fall and hurt ourselves. We break a ball and there's an injury. We get the news of a disease. And that, that's a simple reality that sometimes difficulties come in our life. But there are sometimes that we face pains because of sin against us. Someone lies to us, someone hurts us, a friend betrays us, a spouse leaves us, a, dis a leader disappoints us. We all face those things. It doesn't matter your name, your position, your wealth, your influence, your title. It doesn't matter any of those things. None of us get a free pass as it relates to dealing with the pain and the trials and the brokenness that we face in this world. Exhibit A, Jephthah. Judges chapter 11, the Bible introduces to us this character by the name of Jephthah, an unsung hero of the Bible. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was a valiant warrior. In fact, from the word that's used to describe him, we get our English word heroic. This guy was a courageous leader. He was a bold individual. He was an individual who was well-respected and well-known for his courage, especially in the context of military uh, things. But here's the reality. Even Jephthah, the valiant warrior, the hero, the courageous leader, experienced great pain. And I want us to see his pain in the context of three specific areas. Maybe you can relate, maybe you can't, but I believe many of us can. Three things that we see about the pain that Jephthah faced. The first is that Jephthah experienced a painful reproach, a painful reproach. And that is to say that there was something in his life that caused people largely to look at him differently. Now, it's not to say that he wanted to be looked at differently, it's not to say he wanted to be treated differently, but there was something in his background that caused people to cast a judgmental uh, eye towards him. And the Bible says that Jephthah was a valiant warrior, but that simple three-letter but powerful word, great guy, but he was the son of a harlot. Now, I don't have to expound into all the details of that, but picture the scene for just a moment. Jephthah is the son of a man by the name of Gilead. Even by his name, we understand that Gilead would have been a leader amongst his people in that day. And Gilead had a wife, and Gilead and his wife had many sons. And so Jephthah grows up in this family. From, from the outward appearance, it would appear that here's Gilead, this great leader. Here's his wife, and here are his family. Here's his children. What a beautiful, harmonious picture. Everybody take a snapshot, a, a snapshot of it and put it on Facebook. This is a picture-perfect family. But behind the scenes, there was something else that the Bible was wanting us to know. Behind the scenes, when you pulled away the mask, as you pulled away the curtain, God says, but, but he was the son of a harlot. Now, what that means for us is that at some point in the context of this relationship, Gilead did not go to, to his wife. Instead, he went to a prostitute. She conceived, she gave birth to this son named Jephthah. Now, I think it's a, a good place to say time out for just a moment. The Bible tells us that every child is a gift from God. Every child. Can you say every child? Every child is a gift from God. Psalm 127 verse 3, Behold, children, the context is all children, are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. That's a fact. Every child is a gift from God. God literally fearfully and wonderfully makes us exactly as he wants us to be. Here's the fact of the matter. Jephthah had no control over the parents that he was born to. 
Jephthah had no control over how he came into the world. Jephthah did nothing wrong. Literally, he was conceived. God gave him, gave him life, and he sent him into the world. And yet at the same time, because of the culture in which he lived and the way in which he came to the world, there was a certain stigma that was placed upon him. The culture looked down at him. No doubt his, his stepmother, so to speak, would look upon him and it would be a reminder of the hurt that she experienced. No doubt Gilead would look upon him and he would look upon him with the shame and the reminder of what he'd done. Even his very brothers would look at him differently. We see a very painful reproach as they treated him differently. Secondly, we see a painful rejection that Jephthah experienced. Picture the scene for just a moment. The Bible tells us in verses two through three, a simple truth that Jephthah, as he grew up, I believe, was always the odd man out. He was looked at differently. At the dinner table, they, they made him feel like he was the mistake of the family. He, he was the, the, the odd duckling, so to speak. And so the Bible says that his, his father ages, his father dies, and the time is now time to divide up the inheritance. Now, he's been the odd man out for a long time. They've rejected him for a long time. His father seems to have provided for him, but never once do we read of his father's love and affection. Never once do we read of his father trying to mend the brokenness of the situation. Never once do we read of his mother ever being present, his biological mother ever being present in his life. Never once do we read of his stepmother doing something to try to encourage him. Never once do we read of his siblings trying to support him on. Never once. Now Gilead dies. It's time to divide up the inheritance. Verses two through three, the Bible tells us something. They look at him. The Bible says they drove out Jephthah out. They drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house for you are the son of another woman. Please understand what's happening is this. These brothers are now, they're aging. It's time to divide up the inheritance. And they look at Jephthah and they're saying, you have no part in our father's inheritance. They are looking at Jephthah and they are saying, you, you are the son of another woman. The word another in the Hebrew means a strange woman. We don't want to know anything about her. We don't know anything about her story. We don't want to know anything about her story. And frankly, Jephthah, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Our father is a godly man. Our father is this leader. Our father is this. And frankly, your very existence is a, it brings a shame to his name. And so literally when the Bible says they divided up the inheritance, but they drove him out, here's what they were saying to him. They were saying to him, we wish you were gone. Good riddance, you are dead to us. Please don't misunderstand the pain. The pain of this is that they are completely and utterly, totally rejecting their brother Jephthah. So pastor, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. I'm simply saying to us, a reminder to us that the pain of rejection, it strikes us at the core of who we are. And, and who can testify to this? That family pain seems to be the worst, right? Like many of us have this, this glitz and glamour picture on Facebook or whatever else. This is what life is. This is the grand life. Oh, look at my family. But when you pull back the curtain, man, the pain that is often associated with that dysfunction and with that type of rejection, it strikes us at the core of who we are. And that's what Jephthah was dealing with. But it wasn't just the pain of rejection. It was also a painful remembrance. Verse 7 tells us something very interesting. Now, I don't know if you've ever been deeply hurt but when you've experienced deep hurt, especially by those that should have been the ones loving you and encouraging and helping you, it's hard to move forward sometimes. Because the, the memory of what took place, the, the pain still associated with those things. I mean, it's like one thing can happen, one sight can be seen, one experience can be had, and instantly our mind is right back in that place. Notice what happens. The Bible says that the brothers drive Jephthah out. Jephthah leaves his home. He's forced out of his home, forced out of his homeland by his brothers. And the Bible says that as he went, he went to Tob, 80 miles north of where he was at at the moment, 80 miles north to the region close to Syria. And as he goes, the Bible says there were some idle men, some, our translation says worthless men. They were adventurous men who came alongside of Jephthah and they kind of formed a military brigade. 
They went out to, to, to conquer new lands for Israel. They defended Israel when they could. They went out to adventure and explore. We don't know what all they did, but they would go out together and they were seen as courageous men. And suddenly the Bible tells us that the Israelites began to experience great difficulty. Why? Because they had sinned against God. They had been for a long time rejecting God. And, and as a result of that, God brought judgment. And he brought judgment in the form of a people known as the Ammonites. And the Ammonites now come to oppress the Israelites. The Ammonites were a cruel pagan people. And the Bible says they began to oppress the Israelites. They began to try to conquer the land of the Israelites. They began to try to have their way, if you will. And so the Bible says that the Israelites realize we need a leader. We need someone strong and we need someone courageous. And so suddenly they realize, you know what? It's been years. It's been a long time. But what about Jephthah? And so the Bible says they go to Jephthah and they ask him, Jephthah, will you be our leader? We know that the, the Ammonites are, are rough. We know that they're cruel. We know that they're harsh. We know that they're a powerful people, but would you be our leader? We think we could do this if you're leading us. Jephthah's first statement tells us about the pain of remembrance. The Bible tells us in verse seven, these simple words. Jephthah looked at them and he said, did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? In other words, he's a grown man, mighty military warrior. He is the, the heroic person of the passage of scripture. He is a valiant warrior. But in an instant, all he could remember in the moment was the pain and the hurt that they had brought upon him. In an instant, he still remembered. In an instant, it was like his mind was right back to yesterday in just a brief moment. In fact, that suggests something to us. It suggests to us that when his brothers were trying to get rid of him and to drive him out of the city and to drive him out of his homeland, what they did is this. They didn't just disband him or reject him from the inheritance. They took the matter before the elders of Israel so that it would all be spoken in the public square. Can you imagine the scene? Jephthah, man, I imagine he's in some ways just trying to fit in, just trying to make life matter. And to get him to leave the hometown, they literally brought him into the public square and they did everything they could to embarrass him, humiliate him, and shame him. That, that would be like today, you sharing with me your top five greatest hurts in your family, painful situations, and then me parading all of you up here and saying, well, let me tell you about this person and their brokenness and their situation. It would be hurtful. That's what Jephthah experienced. Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is, is that we all face pain in this life. Now, now, you might be here this morning and think, well, Pastor, oh my goodness, I came here to be encouraged and to be challenged. That, that kind of seems like hopeless. Please understand, though, in the midst of it all, when it seemed like all hope was lost, there was still hope. When it seemed like Jephthah was completely rejected by man, he wasn't rejected by God. When it seems like he was forgotten and forsaken by the very people that should have loved him, please understand, he was not forgotten and he was not forsaken by God. God knew right where he was. God had a plan and a purpose for him. And believe it or not, even all the hardships and all the difficulties, like a thread being woven through his life, God still had a plan and God still had a purpose and God would still use it for his own glory and for Jephthah's good. You might be here this morning and you might feel rejected by people in your life. You might be here this morning and someone throughout your life has made you feel like you are a mistake. You might be going through pain in your life that it's so hard to get past because you remember and it keeps you in bondage and it keeps you in shame and it keeps you from moving forward. But I am telling you this morning, you have not been forgotten by God. He knows, listen, he knows who you are. He knows where you are. He is with you and he has a plan and a purpose. And the fact of the matter is this morning, if we will surrender to that and if we will trust him in the midst of that, God will use all these things ultimately for his own glory, but also for your growth and good. So we see a wonderful truth. We all face pain in this life, but it brings us to a second thing. And that is this, we must learn to trust God's providential plan. What do we do with the pain in our life? What do we do with the pain, frankly, that is absolutely unbearable? What do we do with the pains 
that for a grown military warrior, as soon as they come forward, his mind immediately goes back to it. What do we do in those things? I believe God is showing us through the life of Jephthah, we must trust God's providential plan. We don't always see what God is doing. Can I just say to you that even in my own life in recent years, as it relates to my family and some of our extended family situations and circumstances, man, there are some painful, painful things. And it's hard sometimes in the midst of it to make sense of it all. It's hard to understand like, God, how are you going to bring good out of this? God, how are you going to grow me in this? God, how are you going to be glorified in this? And man, it's hard to grasp that when you're walking in the midst of it all. But I want to remind us this morning, God is good, and he is faithful. And no matter what we face, he is greater than our circumstances. He is so great, and he is so good that he can work all these things together for his glory and for our good. Romans chapter 8 says it this way, and we know that God causes all things. Can you say all things? That's the good and the bad. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's a wonderful truth. God's working it all together for his glory and for our good. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who does what? He comforts us in our affliction so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have been comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Jesus Christ. Yes, we go through circumstances. Yes, we go through trials. But the fact of the matter is God will also comfort us and work in us and through us for his glory. He works through us, through those trials, to further equip us and to prepare us ultimately for the greater things he has in store. Corey Tinboom used to tell the illustration years ago, Corey Tinboom, that a young lady who survived the Holocaust and, and has written so eloquently about the story and the truth of forgiveness and trusting God and walking by grace, even in the midst of such horrendous offenses against her. But in her later years, as she began to travel and began to speak, she used to tell the story of a little boy that would sit at the feet of his mother daily as that mother was weaving a tapestry. And she was weaving and she was working and often to the point of exhaustion, often to the point of pain in her fingers and she was weaving. And that little boy sitting at her feet would look up and from his perspective, as she was weaving that tapestry, all he could see was the jumbled mess of the colors of the threads. There was a thread here and a thread there. It seemed like there was no rhyme or reason and no pattern. There was no order at all. It just seemed like there were loose ends and dead ends and, and nothing made sense. And finally he cried out and he just honestly, he said, Mommy, that picture sure looks ugly to me. Mommy, what are you making? Mommy, I don't understand. That, that is not very good work. But the mother looking down at her son, knowing that she, he was only seeing the bottom of the tapestry, she said, Oh, honey. I know it doesn't look good from your perspective, but from my view up here, I'm creating a masterpiece. And what that mother was describing was, it may look from your perspective that it's jumbled and that it's messy and that things don't make sense, but from where I sit, I can see the perfect image of how every thread is weaving together, how every color is working together. I can see exactly what I'm creating. The fact of the matter is this morning, we don't understand every circumstance. From my perspective, as I walk through storms, please understand, it looks very messy along the way. But from God's perspective, he is working and molding and shaping the masterpiece that he desires. So what do we learn about trusting God in the midst of our pain? I believe there are four things that Jephthah did, and, and I want to encourage us today to do the same thing with our pains. The first thing Jephthah did is that Jephthah recognized his dependence on the Lord. Jephthah recognized his dependence upon the Lord. Now stop for just a moment here. I think about that. And the reality is we do all face pain. Amen. But here's another reality. I don't like pain and neither do you. Right? I mean, when someone asks me, Pastor Matthew, or my kids ask me, hey, daddy, what do you want for Christmas? I don't say pain. You know, like, you don't do that, right? Like, none of us want it. I, I don't want circumstances. I want trials. I want life to be smooth and grand and glorious. Your best life now, right? I mean, that's, that's what I'm wanting. But the fact of the matter is, is that we do face pain. 
And while I don't want it, and while I don't enjoy it, and while I don't long for it, here's the reality. I'm thankful for it. Because it's often in those moments of pain that I learn where my strength comes from. I learn where my joy comes from. It's in that pain I learn where my hope comes from. It's in that pain I learn where the victory comes from. Because see, somewhere along the way, we tend to think that our strength and our hope comes from ourselves. Our joy comes from all of our amazing blessings. Look how wonderful grand life is. But when the day comes that we taste just a glimpse of what Job might have experienced, what then? See, in this moment, Jephthah's in a place where he hadn't been able to rely on his mother. He hadn't been able to rely on his dad. He couldn't even rely on his siblings. He couldn't even rely on his own countrymen, the elders of Israel, who should have been protecting him and helping him. He had none of that. So you know who he learned to rely on? The Lord. When no one else was there, guess who was? God was. When all hope seemed lost, he still had hope because God was with him. So guess what happens? The Israelites, the elders come to Jephthah because the Ammonites have become a powerful people oppressing them. The Ammonites were such a cruel people. Please listen to this. You can always tell the evil of a culture by how they treat their children. Born and unborn. Amos 1.13 gives us a glimpse of how the Ammonites treated their born and even unborn children. And the Bible tells us that their primary false god was the god of Molech. He was the god of fire. And when they created this false idol for the god Molech, they created him with arms extended. Because when their babies were born, they would bring them and place them into the arms of Molech and offer them as a sacrifice. That was the Ammonites. And they are oppressing God's people. And in this moment, they come to Jephthah. Oh, Jephthah, we, we, we know that you've been gone from Israel for a long time. We know that you've become this mighty valor, man of valor. We know that you're a heroic leader. Jephthah, we need you. Verses seven through 11, four times, Jephthah basically says this. If God gives the victory, if God gives the victory, this is what will happen. If God does this, this is what will happen. Please understand what Jephthah is doing. Jephthah knew that their dependence was not upon him. The person they needed was not him. The person they needed was the Lord. In fact, I believe that Jephthah saw their rejection of him as really a picture of their greater problem of their rejection of God. Oh, they had told Jephthah, take a hike. We don't need you. We don't want you. But here's the reality. The Israelites have been doing that with God for years. God, take a hike. We're going to do our own thing. We're fine. We want to do what we want, God. We can figure this out ourselves. We got this. Until the enemy begins to attack and oppress and to move. Jephthah is calling them to rely upon God. And it brings us to Judges chapter 11. Listen to this statement. Verse 11, I love this statement. They agree to make Jephthah their leader. As Jephthah is focusing on his dependence upon God. In verse 11, it says... As he became the chief over them, Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Now, some people hear that and they think, oh, well, of course he spoke the words before the Lord because God hears everything. And for the record, God hears every word you say. God heard every word I said during that football game yesterday. That's why I spent an hour at the altar repenting this morning. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. God hears every word we say. But when the Bible says that Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord, literally in the Hebrew, it means he spread out the matter. It's a picture of us, maybe in our culture to say it this way. Jephthah approached God and he laid everything out on the table. He's looking at God and saying, God, like, I don't know what to do here. I've never fought of people like the Ammonites. We're completely outmatched. But, and, and God, like, the, I've been rejected. Like, I don't have all these experiences. They're like, God, I need you. God, what do you want me to do? I believe he's bringing every concern. I believe he's bringing every fear, every insecurity, every pain. He's bringing it all, and he's laying it out. He's spreading out the matter before the Lord. God, would you move? 
God, would you help me? God, would you go with me? Because God, if you don't go with me, we're, we're done for. Like, God, I need you. He's spreading everything out before the Lord. He's taking, he's hiding nothing. He's holding nothing back. He's laying it all out before God. Why? Because he recognized his dependence upon the Lord. Secondly, Jephthah relied on the truth. Verses 12 through 26. Please hear me. I gotta move quickly. But Jephthah relied upon the truth. He becomes a leader. He sends a message to the king of Ammon. Dude, what's the deal? That's my interpretation, okay? Why are you coming against us? Why are you oppressing us, the Israelites? What is the deal? And the guy comes back and speaks something that sounds so simple in verse 12 and 13. He says, you Israelites stole our land and we demand that you give it back. Now that sounds simple. But please don't miss this. What he is saying is a lie. The Israelites hadn't stolen his land. The Israelites hadn't done wrong. What he is saying is a false accusation. What the enemy is doing, the Ammonites to Jephthah, is exactly what the devil does in our own life. He comes to deceive us. He comes to falsely accuse. He comes to lie to us. Why? Because he's a thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, that literally of the devil, that he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. Please understand, when Satan comes against us in those moments of temptation, he comes to lie. But don't miss the context of that. Jephthah's background has been one of pain and of hurt, one of rejection, one of difficulty and hardship. Please understand, when we go through those times of pain and circumstance, those trials and adversities, you know what he does? Satan does the same thing he's always been doing all the way back to a thousand years before Jesus. He comes to lie and to deceive and to hinder you and to divide you from others who can help you. He comes and speaks those words of deceit. Why? Because his desire is to destroy you. Give us back our land. You, you guys stole it from us 300 years ago. Well, what does Jephthah do? Jephthah knows the truth of God's word and he relies on it. He doesn't walk according to the lie. He walks according to the truth. And so he reminds them of the truth. He didn't just know in his heart. He reminded the enemy of the truth. By the way, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, do you remember that? Satan came to Jesus and he began to lie to him and deceive him. Oh, this is what you say. Three different times Jesus overcame the temptation. How? By speaking the truth of the word of God. So the enemy comes. What do you do? You speak the truth. Jephthah said, hey, by the way, no, 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 time out. That's not how it happened. The Israelites didn't steal your land. And he recounted, verses 12 through 26, exactly what happened. I'll summarize it simply and say this. Years earlier, when the Israelites had been released from Egypt, they were going to the promised land that God had promised to give them. And the Bible says they came to the border of the land of Ammon. To get from point A to point B, they had to go through Ammon. And so the Israelites, trying to be peaceable, sent a request to King Sihon of the Ammonites, and they said, please sign a peace treaty with us that we may peacefully walk through your land. We will only walk on this specific highway. We won't even drink water from your wells. We won't take any food from your fields. We're just trying to get from point A to point B. Would you sign this peace treaty with us? And the Bible says that Sihon did not trust the Israelites. In fact, instead of not only not trusting them, he saw them in a place of vulnerability. Ooh, this is good. These weakened slaves from Egypt that have been released, they are now at a dead-end road. They're going to be easy to wipe off the face of the earth. That's what he thought. Little did Sion know, hello, that these were God's chosen people, and it would be through his people that he would one day send his son as the Savior of the world. So God was going to be with them. They were in such a weakened position leaving Egypt, they weren't even ready for a battle. But that day, Sion, he came against the Israelites to defeat them, to wipe them off the face of the earth. But God was with the Israelites. If God could be for them, who could be against them? Didn't matter. That day, even though they weren't ready for battle, 
The Bible says the Israelites completely defeated the Ammonites. And not only did they defeat them, but God gave them the land. So here's what Jephthah says. Jephthah says, listen, we did not steal your land, but the living, true God of heaven gave us the land and gave you into our hands. He gave us the victory. What he's doing is he is relying on the truth. Third, Jephthah released the outcome to the Lord. He tells him, now listen, no, God gave us this land. No doubt about it. And it is not up to us to give back to you what God has already given to us. Now, I want you to consider what he does in verses 27 through 28. He says with a clear conscience, Therefore, I have not sinned against you, Ammonites, but you are doing me wrong by making war against me. Listen to the statement. So may the Lord, the judge, judge today between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ammon. Please understand what is happening in this moment is Jephthah's not being presumptuous about what God is going to do. Jephthah here in this moment is in a situation where he's looking at the Ammonites. He's saying, listen, guys, I don't know where you're coming from, and I don't know why you're so upset. If you really wanted to claim this land, why haven't you tried to do this in the past 300 years? Why have you waited till Israel's at a weakened state to try to do this again? Why is this coming about? But here's what he's recognizing. Jephthah, because he had learned to depend upon God, because he had learned that God is present, even in the difficult times, because he had learned that God would mold you and shape you, even in the adversities that you don't want along the way, because he had learned to trust God, here he is in the crisis of all crises for the Israelites. And here's what he's doing. He's looking to God and he's saying, God, I don't know exactly what your will is, but I trust you. God, the outcome of this today, I know that you are good. I know that you are the judge. I know that you are omniscient over all things. You have all power over everything, God. So God, whatever your will is, I surrender to you. Jephthah's not trying to control it. He's not trying to manipulate it. Oh, I trust God. I just like to help him out a little bit. Man, it's easy to talk it, right? Jephthah's literally coming to God and saying, God, you're sovereign over all things. Doesn't matter my opinion on things. You're the judge. I surrender to you. He's releasing the outcome to the Lord. Finally, Jephthah resolved to go forward in faith. Look with me at verse 29, and I'm going to wrap things up. Trusting the Lord, depending on the Lord, surrendering to the Lord. Please understand his release is not a passively, oh, I'm not going to do anything. I mean, he understood his responsibility. He's just trusting the Lord with the outcome. Verse 29, now the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. So that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, then he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he went on to the sons of Ammon. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace for the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them. Summary statement very simple, shouldn't be shocked. And the Lord gave them into his hand. He struck them with a very great slaughter from Aurora to the entrance of Mineth, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Karamim. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that in trusting God, Jephthah came to a moment of decision. As the Holy Spirit is leading him from one place to another, to another, closer and closer to the front of the enemy lines, he had faith and believed that God was with him, that God had prepared him, and that God will give him the victory. Not once in this text do we read, as he's going into that battle, that he was hindered by his past. Not once do we read that he's still holding on to the pain. Not once do we read that he was hindered by the rejection that he had experienced. Don't you know any moment in that process, the enemy would have brought in all these kind of doubts and all these uh, concerns. Oh, Jephthah, you're, you're still a nobody. Oh, Jephthah, look at how people look down upon you. Oh, Jephthah, God could never do these things. No, we see him walking forward in faith, trusting that God was with him, trusting that God could use him, trusting that God would give the victory. And guess what? 
When Jephthah walked into that battle, God gave the victory. Was it because he was so powerful? No. Was it because of his vast experience? No. It was because the victory that overcomes the world, according to 1 John chapter 5, is this. It is even our faith. That's the key to victory. Let me close with a simple, simple summary. He wasn't. Jephthah might have been a valiant warrior and a hero, an unsung hero in that day, but the fact of the matter is Jephthah was not a perfect man because Jephthah also sinned against God. In fact, we read just a moment ago about this vow that he made to God that I think he made with good intentions, but frankly, even in that moment, he, he made it very rash. He made it very hastily without really considering, without really even seeking God. He made a vow to God that God didn't even demand of him. Man, it caused great pain and great uh, suffering in his own life. But here's the fact of the matter. We learn a lot from the story of Jephthah about putting our faith and trust in God and how God can give victory no matter what our past and pain has been. Well, can I say to you this morning, we are not looking forward to Jephthah as our hero. We look to Jesus. Jesus is the only perfect one. He came and lived a sinless life, never sinned, never fell short. Jesus was forsaken and rejected of men. Jesus, don't you know, as he was walking through the temple that people would look and all the things they would say about Mary and Joseph and Jesus was from Nazareth and they would look down upon Jesus and they would, they would say, well, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. How could he? Jesus, literally, as he stood before Pilate in the crowd, he had done nothing wrong and yet the crowd chanted, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus would be on the cross and we would understand the pain of his rejection to the extent that he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, talking about the pain of the memory, oh my goodness, even after he rose again from the grave and began to appear to the disciples, he reminded them that he had to suffer. Just because he's victorious didn't mean he forgot the pain he had to go through. He went through all that and then he rose again from the grave. Why? Because Jesus alone is the hero and he's the only one that can forgive us of our sin and save us. Here's how Jesus said in John 16, 33. Remember that verse earlier about tribulation? Here's the encouragement. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus said, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. Why? For I have overcome the world. We learn a great deal from the life of Jephthah. I'm thankful. But Jephthah is not the source of the victory. Jesus is. The question is, will you trust him? Will you accept him? Will you live for him today? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that we've had together, for the ways that you've spoken to our heart and life. I pray, God, that you would now be glorified by our response of trust, surrender, and obedience. Have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.